you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed if you are insulted for the name of Christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Great uh, to see your faces here today. And this is a new mic. Is that working? Hey, it is. Oh, no. (laughs) We'll get there. Um, I want to begin by... What's it doing? Keep going. Ah, Keep trying. Keep trying. I'm getting some nods. I can hear all sorts of things. Tell me if it gets bad. I have a handheld over here which I can grab. Grab the handheld. All right. Ah. Is that better? (laughs) This thing is still on. Come on. You got it? All right, there we go. All right, let's uh, take two. And I want to begin by asking, have you ever had something that you really, 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 really dreaded that was on the horizon and that was coming, right? It might have been coming back to school at the end of the holidays It might have been the VCE exams that you had at the end of school. It might have even been the impending visit of your mother-in-law. I don't know what it was. But for me, the thing that I think I have dreaded most in all my life was something called exercise Timor. Yes, this is an army story. I'm sorry. Uh, But uh, when I was training to be an army officer, um, there was an exercise which everyone had to do And it was a a food and sleep deprivation exercise. And it was, it, it, it just loomed like a terrible cloud over us because we knew it was very, very hard. 
Uh, the ones that had been through it before in the years ahead warned us how bad it was. Uh, we knew that at least four cadets had died over the previous years that it had been run. That's, that's true. And what was perhaps worst of anything was that we never knew when it would come. They didn't tell us when it would start so you could prepare for it. We just knew that it would come sometime in a three-month block, but we never knew when it would. And they played mind games with us. There was false starts and there was um, always this any moment it could happen. But when it actually did happen, it caught us completely by surprise. Uh, we were flying back uh, from an exercise in the Northern Territory on those big, slow cargo Hercules planes. Uh, we landed in Canberra after all of those hours. We were all tired. The buses picked us up, and, um, and we just couldn't wait for the sleep in the next morning and just to get to bed. And the buses pulled into our accommodation. You know, the doors opened. We stood up, and we grabbed the stuff, and then the doors closed. And then the buses pulled out, and someone said, this is it, and started scoffing the leftover sandwiches uh, from the flight before the uh, strip search. Well, today in First Peter, we're going to be looking at, at something a lot more serious than Exercise Timor. We're going to be looking at something that is coming, and we're going to look at three things uh, that First Peter would have us know about this thing that is coming. Number one, there is a fiery trial which is coming, right? Number two, there are blessings in that fiery trial. And number three, we can look at something quite heavy. We're going to look at the judgment, which Peter says begins with the household of God. So three things this morning. So let's look at the first one. The fiery trial is coming. Uh, now, some people, and, and you, this could be you, Believe that getting to heaven, finally being in the presence of God for all eternity is actually really, really easy, right? And you say, well, how's it easy? Well, all you do is you come to a church service or somewhere else, maybe a youth rally or a youth group activity, and whoever's speaking goes, if you want to follow Jesus now, stick up your hand, and you stick up your hand, and then you repeat after someone a prayer, and the job is done, right? It doesn't really matter what you do with the rest of your life. It doesn't actually matter if your life doesn't change at all, because you now have paid the insurance premium on eternity, right? You've, you've paid the premium. So however you live your life, you have the insurance already waiting for you. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, job's done. If you think this, you haven't been reading the Bible and you haven't been studying church history. The Bible actually has no time for this kind of attitude which treats heaven like the encouragement award that everyone gets at the primary school sports. Heaven in the scriptures is something that is so incredibly important and so incredibly big. It is something that demands all of us. And so hang on, Andrew. Heaven is the free gift of God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, exactly. None of us can get to heaven by our own works. Have we got that clear? None of us are going to somehow twist God's arm and say, look how good my life was. I am deserving of heaven because I'm a good man or a good woman or a good child. It's not going to work. 
We are coming through this life, and if we, if we reach heaven for all eternity, it will be because of God's unmerited kindness and goodness and favour to us through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, dying in our place for our sins. That's the gospel, right? We can't earn it. It's a gift. But we are wrong to somehow imagine that heaven is easy and that the insurance premium you pray, if you stick up your hand and pray a prayer, that's done and then you can live your rest of your life unchanged. That is not what the Bible says. And when Peter comes to talk about this in this part of his letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, he speaks of the fact and the reality that a fiery trial is coming. Look what he says, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. Christianity, following Jesus in this life and coming to with him for eternity is not easy. It's not something that just happens. Peter speaks of a fiery trial which is coming upon his, he addresses them as beloved, upon men and women who are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he says, and don't be surprised when it comes, right? As if you didn't expect it. As if no one told you that was coming. Don't be surprised when it comes because that is actually part of the Christian walk. There's a fiery trial that is coming and it is coming to test you. That's what Peter says. Well, and we say, well, what is the fiery trial? Is he talking about the, the final day of judgment, which is very often referred to as fire? Yes, I think in part. But the fiery trial I think Peter is talking about here is the trial that we have seen throughout the letter of Peter, isn't it? The trial of suffering. All kinds of suffering, I think, would be included within that, that heading of, of trial, of fiery trial. Uh, mental suffering, relational suffering, physical suffering, all of those things. But front and square... As Peter gets to this part of his letter to these suffering churches, front and square is the persecution of God's people. That's the fiery trial he is referring to, front and center. So that's the fiery trial that's coming, right? Point one. Point two, there are blessings in the fiery trial. There's at least three of them. Let's uh, look at those blessings together. Firstly... The fiery trial is a blessing because it will refine and it will purify your faith if you are a Christian. Uh, we dreaded exercise Timor. It lurked on the horizon and when it came, it did not disappoint. In fact, it was worse than even our imaginations had made it out to be. It rained incessantly for the whole week. They took all our warm clothing from us. We had almost no sleep and almost no food. We covered most days up to 50 kilometres a day carrying huge coils of barbed wire and ammunition. And then at night, we dug trenches and gun pits all night until we collapsed. Only 40 out of the 240 of us made it through without needing medical attention. It was bad. But I'll tell you something. While it was uh, the hardest probably seven days of my life, it was actually worse than when I deployed, 
overseas, and it was brutal, the testing that that put on me was something that to this day I cherish and value. Because in that testing period, when I had um, hardly any sleep, hardly any food, I got to look at myself as I really was. And I, to be honest, I didn't like all that I saw. But I also saw that I was capable of far more than I had given myself credit for, that, that I was far stronger than I would have ever imagined till everything else was stripped away. It was a fiery trial that was designed to test me, and test me it did. And when Peter speaks of a, of a fiery trial, he's speaking about a far greater test than that with something far more valuable at the end. Let, let's flip, flip back. Um, I'll, I'll read it for you. If you've got your Bible, you can flip back physically to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. So right at the beginning of the letter, this is what Peter said. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Peter's speaking to a church that is, is enduring suffering and he's saying, you know, one reason why your Lord is allowing you to suffer in this way because your faith is precious. It's like gold. Gold is refined by fire. He says, your faith is more precious than gold because that perishes though it's refined by fire. He says, the testing of your faith is producing something of great value, turning you into something more precious than gold. That's the first reason that there is a blessing in this fiery trial. Now, secondly, and while that first reason is true, I don't think it's the focus of Peter here in this part of his letter. This is, second reason. Chapter four, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So when you first become a Christian and before you suffer, it's possible that your Christian faith is a bit like a Velcro patch. You ever seen those? You stick it on and then you rip it off. It's pretty easy. It makes that noise on and off. You're suffering. Your Christian faith can be like that Velcro patch. It's joined. It's there. But it's pretty easily removed. Peter's point is, is that when you go through the fiery trial, it's more like a metal worker's blowtorch, right? It's welding you to Christ. The suffering turns it from Velcro into, into something that is welded in permanently. You, you are joined together with Christ when you suffer in a way that you simply are not when you don't. And Peter is saying, he's saying, if you are welded to Christ through his suffering, you're suffering like he suffered, then you are welded to Christ when his glory is revealed. The two go together. Do, do you see his point? Um, my great uncle was in the French resistance in World War II. Uh, he's died now, but I remember once having the opportunity, he lived in France and he spoke in French, but through an interpreter to sit with him before he died to hear what it was like to be in the French resistance in occupied France in World War II. And he spoke about the early years of the resistance when everybody believed that the Nazis were there for good. There's no point in resisting. It was over. And he spoke about those times when it felt like there were very few 
who are prepared to actually fight and resist. And uh, he spoke about the time he was captured by uh, the Gestapo and taken to Gestapo headquarters and went through Gestapo interrogation and eventually escaped by, by diving into the bottom of a rubbish truck with all the filth and, and getting away. In those difficult periods, uh, he wore the uniform of the French resistance, even though it was ragtag and it was hopeless for many. But then he describes what happened on the, the day when his village was liberated. When the Germans fled and the victorious allies rolled through. And, and he spoke about that moment when he was able to, to walk through the streets. And suddenly that ragtag uniform became a badge of honour. The collaborators at that time were being horribly punished. Those who had, who had joined together with the Germans were scorned. But for those who had stood and resisted in the tough times, now they joined in the victory celebration. And that's what it is. When we are welded together with Christ, our Christian faith becomes not something that we wear like a Velcro patch or something that's, that, that is, is just easily removed like an article of clothing. Our Christian faith, our trust and our belief in the Lord Jesus and the gospel that he gives becomes something that is welded deep in our souls. And for Peter, he says, if you, well, in other places in Scripture, it says, if you suffer with him, if you suffer with Jesus, if you suffer like Jesus, then you will be glorified with him. When that victory parade takes place on that final day, then you who have suffered with him will be glorified with him. That's the second reason why this fiery trial is good. It welds us to Jesus Christ. And, but there's a third reason, and it's even better, I think. Verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In verse 15, Peter says once again that not all suffering is created equal. He says, if you are suffering, make sure you're really suffering for the sake of Christ, not because he says here, because you're a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a meddler. But if you're suffering for Christ, then the spirit of glory and of Christ rests on you. Can I ask you a question? Do you know what he's talking about? Do you, do, you, do you know or do you read those words and you say, oh, it's nice, spirit of glory and a Christ rest on me, but I don't, I, I don't know if you know, I, I thought of trying to describe for you what it is like in that moment, and I can't. I, I can't describe for you what it is like when the spirit of God, of glory, of Christ rests on you. You, you need to experience it. And, and Peter is saying here that, that perhaps the only way that we can truly experience it to this level and depth is through suffering, right? When we're insulted for the name of Jesus. Now, there is truth that when, when we come and we're saved by God through the work of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We know the presence of God, yeah? But he's also saying when you're insulted for the name of Christ, it seems like he's saying there's something additional and beyond that that dwells on you. It's like the cloud, you know, the cloud of God's glory, the Shekinah glory comes down like in the wilderness of Exodus and it dwells in the midst of your heart. Do you know what that's like? 
When I think of of an illustration to this from my own Christian journey, honestly, I think there's only a few times when I've really experienced that, what Peter is talking about. And the first of those happened just a couple of weeks after I became a Christian. I was in school. I'd newly baptized the Sunday before. And I, I, was, I did VCE Latin, right? And, uh, and I was in the Latin class. It was a small class, as you might imagine. There was only, I think, eight or nine of us. And um, I was sitting at the front, minding my own business innocently. I'd like to say I was working, but I don't know if that was true. But I was certainly minding my own business. And there was a kid in the back row, and, and he, he started to quietly, um, relentlessly mock me because of my new faith in Jesus. And he was just doing it quietly, and it was just, I was just like, okay, just, just let it roll off you, let it roll off you. And then for some reason, the teacher got up and went outside. Don't know what the teacher was doing. Went outside, do something in the staff room, whatever. And then in that moment, this kid unleashed. And, uh, and he, he was very clever, actually. And in that moment, he was very vicious. And he just kept pouring out insults on me for having become a Christian. And I remember at one moment, I was like, oh, Lord, this is so hard. And I put my head down into my hands and was praying for help. And then that was the worst thing I probably could have done. Because then he went like, oh, he's praying to his imaginary friend. Look, everybody, let's see if Andrew's imaginary friend. And he just kept going and going. And even the, the, the others in the class, who, who, some of whom I would counted friends, it was, it was all just a big joke and they joined in. And, and like, you might say, oh, Andrew, that's the best you can come up with, with being insulted for the name of Christ. And look, I knew I wasn't going to get beaten up. The teacher was going to show up in a minute and it was all going to pass. But let me tell you, when you're a 17-year-old boy and you are concerned about your social position and you're concerned about what other people think of you, this was devastating, fiery persecution in that moment. But why I want to share this with you is because in that moment, and I think probably more than the rest of my life in the decades that I've followed Jesus since, in that moment, I had the most extraordinary sense of God's presence of the cloud of his glory resting on me. Do you know what that's like? It's incredibly sweet. It's incredibly deep. It's incredibly intimate. It's beautiful. And the more that this kid was was mocking me for the sake of the name of Jesus, the more the cloud rested. And that um, I remember that night going home after school and, and walking back along the sidewalk. And you think that I would have been like hunched over. What a terrible day at school that was, you know. Like, and because it, it kind of continued on into lunch as well. You know, it was one of those days. But I was rejoicing. I, I couldn't believe how thankful I was that I had the opportunity to be bearing the name of Jesus Christ. And, and the, the closeness and the presence of God's glory was more sweet than any other possession, way more worthwhile than my social standing. Do you know it? Have you experienced that? If you have, you will agree with Tertullian, who lived in the time of the Roman Empire, and he was writing to the Roman Empire, and he was saying this about persecution. And this is a paraphrase, but this is what he said. What the desert was for the fathers of old, your prisons are for us. They're places of suffering and want physically, and yet they're places of sweet communion and rejoicing with our Lord. Who can consider his shackles when God's glory and the Spirit of Christ rests on him? Peter is writing to this church, and I think what he is saying is, only the fiery trial can do that. 
There's a blessing in it. When the fiery trial comes and our faith is welded to Jesus Christ, there is also the incredible blessing when we suffer for his name of God's closeness to us, his presence with us that makes it exceedingly sweet. Those are the the, the fiery trials coming, yes. These are three blessings that we find in that fiery trial. Now, thirdly, finally, judgment. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. We Christians have been called in Peter's letter, we've been called chosen. We've been called elect. We've been called deeply loved. We've been called God's holy priesthood. We've been called living stones, being built up together into his holy temple. If you're a Christian here this morning, that's who you are. You have an identity in Christ, which is exceedingly beautiful and precious. And Peter says it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. That's us. You might have heard some people peddle the lie that uh, becoming a Christian is an automatic immunity against all kinds of suffering. Just become a Christian and, and life is sweet. You'll be blessed in every way possible. That, that, that's actually taking a, a big overarching truth, which is absolutely true, that you will be blessed in every way possible and drilling it down into the kind of blessings we want now, like money and physical health. And that's a lie. The fiery trial, when it comes on the people of God, will be to test us. Not to destroy us, but to test us. And it begins with God's household, Peter says. Think about that. It begins with us. But then listen to the next part of verse 17. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter's asking questions there. What do you think are the answers to those questions? He's saying if judgment begins with God's people, well, what is going to be the outcome for those who do not know God? What do you think the answer to those questions might be? No, God is infinitely loving, infinitely forgiving, so that even those people that haven't got that, uh, haven't paid their insurance premium by sticking up their hand and praying a prayer, they're going to be okay in the end. Many people will tell you that. Some of you here may believe it. But the Bible doesn't teach it. If we want to know the answer, Peter doesn't give us the answer to those questions he raises in 1 Peter. But if we go forward to 2 Peter, the second letter that Peter wrote to those churches, he tells us exactly. Listen to these words. 2 Peter verse four, uh, chapter 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, 
If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Peter is saying here that judgment is beginning with the household of God. That's us if you're a Christian. And he says, if even we are scarcely saved through the fire, scarcely plucked out from a world that is under God's judgment by the saving work of Jesus Christ. He says, if if that's true of God's community, the church, well, what will be true of those who do not know him? What will be true of those who have gone through their lives rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ when it came to them? Through friends, maybe through a Bible, maybe through something they saw online, through the inner testimony of their hearts. What will be the case for those who have no mediator, before them and a holy God? What will be the case if God will judge his own people? And if judgment begins with us, what will be the case for those who have no one to stand in between them? What will be the final destination of those, Peter tells us. That, my friends, is why this matters. Jesus Christ is not someone to be accepted or discarded like a Velcro patch. Jesus Christ is the only Son of God coming into a world that is under God's judgment, coming with the hand of grace and mercy, coming, as we will learn in these next weeks, to die on the cross, to bear God's anger and wrath so that you and I might be saved as through the fire. Taken in that ark of God's salvation in Jesus, one to Him, dearly loved, showered with His blessings. God is good. But Peter's point should echo in our ears and it should echo in our ears if we are Christians first because how many of us are asleep in the light? For how many of us is what we gather today something that could be, could be left out or included depending on the, the, whatever is going on in our daily program? Depending on if there's a park run to be considered or something else, how much of us, our Christianity is so tepid? We believe the truth but we're asleep. And when we hear these words to Peter of of the fiery trial that is coming, we should wake up. We should be ready for it. But we should also be ready for it because we live within a world where most people do not know the goodness and kindness of God. And what is the implication for us as God's people? The implication is, is that if we truly believe this and we truly care for the world in which we live, then we'll wake up for their sakes, if not for our own then we will hold these truths of the Scriptures clearly. We will live lives that seek to know Jesus ourselves because He's our salvation and seek to have others know Him as well because He's theirs too. And so this morning as we conclude, I want to ask two questions. I want to ask if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, And you ask, well, it's fine, you know, like, it's fine. God's going to be right with it at the end. He will not. 
The scripture, God's revelation makes clear that this is not an optional addition to your life. Jesus Christ is not something that you tack on and pull off. Jesus Christ is your only hope and your only salvation. Eternity is coming, right? Eternity, your death is coming, mine is coming, eternity is real, and when that happens and when it comes, your and my only salvation is in Jesus Christ. And if you are not in Him, then you are not in God, you have no future. And if this morning that is you, maybe you're a Christian kid of Christian parents, you need to ask this question for yourself. You'll not be saved because of the faith of your parents or your grandparents. You'll be saved because you personally have come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning? Are you ready for the fiery trial? And in a moment, I'm going to give you, and at home too, a chance to respond to this message, this warning really, from Peter this morning. And I'm also going to give you a chance if you are someone, a Christian who's asleep in the light, Going through, kidding yourself that you prayed a prayer and you, or you said something long ago or you went to youth group or you went to church as a kid or whatever it might be and a, and a living, settling for some second best faith that never really goes to your heart. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to pray a prayer of confession that you might come back to the Lord who saved you and the Lord who called you and the Lord who's given himself for you. So as I close, we're going to do those two things. And in a moment, I'm going to ask that we all close our eyes and then I'm going to pray those two prayers. They'll be very simple for someone who, who is not, and they know it, and you know it if that's you, you are not in relationship with God through Jesus. I'm going to give you opportunity to come into that moment, not by just saying a prayer and raising your hand, but by those things marking the inward change in you as death is replaced by life. And then I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask those of us who have become tepid, lukewarm, asleep, thinking of our faith as one thing in a marketplace of many, to come back and to fix our eyes again on the one who is coming, the one who will come to judge. So to do that, I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads and that we all close our eyes. This is a moment between God and us. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. Firstly, as I said, for those who don't know Christ. And my prayer will simply be, be this. I'll say it. Don't pray it until you hear it. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? That's the first prayer I'm going to pray while our eyes are closed. And then at the end of that first prayer, I'm going to ask if you pray it, that you are coming to know Christ for the first time, that you raise your hand. So I've warned you. <laughs> so while our eyes are closed, if that is you, and only pray this prayer if you have not come to Jesus, but you want to. So if that's you, in your heart, pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. 
would you forgive me? Would you live within me? Would you make me yours? If you prayed that prayer while all our eyes are closed, and I open mine now, would you just let me know by putting your hand up? Is there anyone who prayed that prayer this morning? Bless you. Anyone else? And now while our eyes are closed, I'm going to pray another prayer. And this is for those of us who are lukewarm and tepid. If that's you, would you pray this prayer in your heart with me? Father, we repent. And we believe the gospel. We ask that you would forgive us when we are so lukewarm. And that you would fill us again with the power of your Holy Spirit. That we might live for you. And suffer with you. In the name of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, would you let me know? Just give me, just encouraging to see. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah. Bless you guys. Bless you. Father, as we come to you, we thank you so much that you are good, that we love you, that you save us from darkness and bring us into glorious light. We thank you, Lord, that this morning that we can gather to encourage one another and all the more so as the day comes closer. Thank you, Lord, for speaking your word through Peter. Thank you, Lord, this morning for speaking your word into our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Stir us up, and as we sing and as we close our time together, fill our hearts with rejoicing that the fiery trial can't touch us because our Saviour Jesus Christ walks with us, and in the end, if we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.